Welcome back to Confessions of a Party Mouse Chef, How to Cheat, Eat, and Be Happy. I am Vicki Van Dyke. And then came Robert. Living in the thriving unmetropolis of Meaford and going back to the online dating world was a real eye-opener. Turns out geography plays a big part in the, dating's, the dating numbers game. And if you're a two-hour drive from Toronto or any other thriving southern Ontario metropolis, chances are men in those cities won't be willing to make the trek. Toronto to Guelph? No problem. Toronto to Meaford? Where the hell is that? No thanks, sister. That's not to say that the pickings were sumptuous anywhere. In my five years of shopping for a guy online, I discovered that the older one gets, the less one has to choose from. And that would be if one hopes to find someone in one's age group, or at least one's generation. The thing is, after 50, you find out that most of the good ones are already partnered. It is a hard, messy slog wading through the rest of that lot. Still, I was there, and I'd like to believe still worthy, and I only wanted one. Didn't need a buffet, just one perfectly imperfect mate. I believed with all my heart he could be there too. He sure wasn't strolling the streets of Meaford bellowing my name. Because I am so picky, unlike Grover, who, if Jack's word could be trusted, was working on his sixth or seventh post-Vicky relationship at that time, I was fully expecting another long drought of romantic interaction. After Grover left me for the fourth time, which I repeat constantly because most of my girlfriends find it hilarious, I went over six months until Charlie came around. After Charlie, another six months till Ben. After Ben, who really wasn't a relationship at all, just ask him, a measly three months until Billy. And after Billy, it took eight months for Bruce number three to show up. I was prepared for the long haul. So I walked the dog, started writing a blog, made new friends in Meaford, did some gigs, and walked the dog some more. I was no longer working on radio, so I filled my days with charitable endeavors, cooking for friends and walking the dog. And when I walked the dog, I would dialogue with the universe daily and ask, please just bring me one last love of my life. Please and thank you. I was two months into renewed singlehood, and even though I'd struck up a few conversations and correspondences, nobody was exactly jumping off the screen. It was a lonely time. I didn't have Jack anymore. He was back from LA, but living with his dad down south, as we called it. I didn't have Dylan anymore. Renovations were done, and he had a new girlfriend. I didn't have a job to go to once a week or a man to cook for. I had a dog and online dating. And then came Robert. As all those faces scrolled past me daily, and believe me, you get to know them quickly, his literally jumped off the screen. He's just that damn cute. So I checked out his profile. First off, he had lots of pictures posted, something I believe to be an irrefutable necessity when online dating. I mean, come on, we all have at least one really good picture and we can all Photoshop at least one really good picture. But the number of times I have been aghast with incredulity when faced with the reality, well, too numerous to mention. My theory is a man who posts lots of photos has nothing to hide. And that was Robert. A cute headshot with a full head of thick, dark hair. A cute sitting shot in jeans and denim shirt. A cute standing shot in suit and tie. 
and then pics of him scuba diving, ice climbing, and mountaineering. Damn. And I know, what the heck is me and mountain climbers? So I read his profile, well-written, no glaring grammatical errors, which is always a turnoff for me, and checked out his stats. He was a scientist. He had a master's degree. Well, I come from a family of educators, so this was big news. He worked at a university, even better. He was single with no children and he liked dogs. Brilliant. Then came the bad news. He lived in Hamilton, a two and a half hour drive away. I knew this because that is where my radio station was and that was the reason I no longer worked there. The other disconcerting news was Robert is eight years younger than I. Now, now don't get me wrong, I take no issue with younger men. Indeed, my ex-husband, Grover, Charlie, Ben, Bruce number three, all younger than I. By a few months to a few years. Not eight. Yikes, thought I sadly. There is no way this guy is going to be interested in an old bag like me. Especially an old bag, such a lengthy drive away. However, never want to let fear or logic stand in the way of potential love. I sent him a brief note. You're damn cute. That's all it said. I had learned many missives ago that your first effort should be short and sweet, funny, and intriguing. Off it went into the ether, and I waited. Thankfully, it didn't take Robert long to respond. He was just a tad wordier than I had been, penning something like, Well, in so much as a man of my age can be labeled as cute, I appreciate the sentiment even while stouting its actual veracity. Like I said, something like that. And so it began. We went back and forth numerous times within the confines of the dating site, sharing snippets of our lives, hobbies, interests, and his work, marine biology. I found out that he actually holds a PhD, not just a master's, a fact that piqued my interest even further. Our written chats were interesting and engaging, but he never flirted. Not even once and not even vaguely. It was all very friendly. And eventually I thought, okay, this guy just wants to be my friend, nothing more. Fair enough. Until he mentioned that if I ever did another gig down south, he would come and watch me perform. As it turns out, I did have a gig on the books very much in his neighborhood. So I replied, if we actually do meet in person, do you think we'd have anything to talk about? After all, you are a scientist and I'm a musician. His response, and these were his exact words. I look upon this as an opportunity to test the hypothesis that opposites attract. Bam, he had me. Robert was flirting. We moved from the dating site to regular email and from email to our first phone call all in one day. I had already learned that he was British with 10 years in Canada under his belt, but I sure as heck wasn't prepared for the accent when he first called. HBS comes from British stock and his parents still live in England, so I'd spent a lot of time across the pond. But Robert's accent is West Country and truly a language unto itself. I actually had difficulty understanding him at times. At other times, I was completely taken with the unusual cadence. He often gets mistaken for an Australian. That first call lasted well over two hours. By its end, we had established he would visit me in Meaford on the upcoming weekend, which happened to be a long one and the first official weekend of summer, May 24th. 
this man was in no way put off by the lengthy commute. He told me he was looking forward to it. A lovely drive in the country? What's not to like? The next night's phone call commenced at midnight and lasted well into the wee hours. We had been texting all day, and he told me he had a conference call lined up for a potential job in New Zealand and wasn't sure when it would begin or wrap up. I said, just call me when you're done. Doesn't matter when. I can sleep in tomorrow. And so he did. The next evening and the one after that as well. By the time he finally showed up on the Saturday of that long weekend, we had logged over 10 hours in phone time, augmented by many emails and texts. We knew each other. Yeah, right. Famous last words again. Can opposites really attract and then hold? I mean, for more than just a night and a quick hop in the hay? Veteran soul searcher that I am, I looked back on all my loves and I thought, hmm, what actually works best? Lots of commonalities or lots of differences? Might opposites truly click or are we best to stick with our own kind? Ugh, how the fuck should I know? I've tried it both ways and both worked on some levels and both didn't work on some levels. I've been soulmated with another fragile, tortured poet. And I've been married to a practical get-it-done provider. I've shared tofu with a non-drinking vegetarian, and I've not on bones with a wine-swilling drunk. I've contemplated the gypsy existence with Peter Pan, and I've lived the Pepsi commercial life with the greatest guy on earth. I still had no idea what I wanted or needed. Do you think this was probably due to the fact that I still had no idea who I was? Some of my girlfriends thought so. They counseled me to spend time alone and learn to love myself. Fine. Except, all humility aside, I already thought I was all that in a bag of chips. I mean, really, there in my middle-aged dotage, exactly how much alone time did I need? Shiloh and I were getting bored. So, countered I, maybe I know exactly who I am, and who I am is a combination of all of the above, and if Prince Charming would just flipping well show up and be all of those things, I could finally throw away all my other shoes and just start wearing that fucking glass slipper. Okay, we all know that wasn't going to happen. First of all, I'm too old for a prince, and secondly, I'm clumsy. Wine glasses don't ever stand a chance in my house. What are the odds a glass slipper would survive? So, there was Robert in the flesh. Ridiculously intelligent, accomplished, communicative, youthful, and a whole lot more inside the box, except for when he wasn't, and a little emotionally unavailable. Okay. Maybe a lot emotionally unavailable. I wasn't sure yet, but there were red flags reminding me of dear old British HBS. We were not immediately and effortlessly simpatico. We had a unique connection, as evidenced by those marathon phone conversations. We were fully capable of engaging intellectually and physically. Our first kiss, instigated instigated by him, thank you very much, happened right after we'd finished lunch, homemade pizza, and were sipping wine at my kitchen counter. Yes, Robert liked wine, and beer, and scotch, and rum, and meat. I could listen to him talk about his work endlessly and find it fascinating. And this is where I should admit that his work is highly left brain, and I pretty much lost contact with my left brain around grade 10 when I decided that dissecting a frog could in no way factor into my quest to become the next Carol King. 
And yet when he spoke, I listened. And sometimes I even asked questions, which he was delighted to answer mercifully without a hint of patronization. Damn it, if that boy had patronized me even for a second, I swear I would have hit him over the head with my baby grand. He was also able, somewhat shyly, to veer off his own straight and narrow to ask me a question or two about my music and my writing. And he actually seemed interested in my response in that, holy crap, you really are from another planet kind of way. Turns out we could also engage physically, much later, honest, because, well, I'm not really sure why, because we did, and it worked. What scared me from day two was that elusive emotional availability. It was already pretty clear to me that we were at opposite ends of the emotion spectrum. Me, the open book, hard on my sleeve girl. I couldn't play it any other way, nor did I want to. Robert was decidedly more reserved, restrained, and closed off. He wouldn't even hold my hand in public. I was wondering, how much room is there for evolution? Could people really change? Yeah, I fully require a public handholder. So, back to my original question, can opposites really attract? Because, as has been so eloquently stated, a fish may love a bird, but where would they live? I thought, oh, what the hell, I've taken stupider chances in my life. I decided I was willing to embrace what made us different, revel in what made us fit, enjoy what made us unique, and look forward to what might eventually make us, us. I abandoned preconceived notions of what works and what doesn't, and just made every effort to enjoy the ride. And if opposites attracting was just some lame fodder for chick flicks, so be it. Lesson learned and off we could ride into opposite sunsets. Okay, I know, I know, even this right brain dope knows there can be no such thing as opposite sunsets. But if the desire to be attracted and open and to delight in discovery and the new and the different, if that desire could potentially propel us to a new level of honest relationship, you know, boldly go where no man has gone before, well, the struggle would be worth it. And opposites just might not be so opposite after all. So what happened? I'll tell you next time on Confessions of a Potty Mouse Chef, How to Cheat, Eat, and Be Happy. Robert and his story, it continues. I'm Vicki Van Dyke. See ya.